Welcome to the EY Next Wave Banking Asia Pacific podcast. I'm Andrew Gilder, EY Asia Pacific Banking Capital Markets Sector Leader, and your host for this series. Firms operating in the capital markets, particularly investment banks, are facing an exceptionally challenging operating environment today. The evolution of the COVID-19 pandemic, continuing geopolitical tensions, and high inflation rates are all challenges that are now converging in 2023 and are likely to shape the environment for some time. Such uncertainty brings volatility, which can also provide opportunities, as well as be a catalyst for innovative transactions. It can also accelerate operational, cultural, and technological transformation across sectors. So how should investment banks be considering their approach towards sustained and successful transformation in this environment? For today's episode, I'm pleased to introduce Alushi Akechi D'Amico, Strategy and Transactions Partner at EY Parthenon. She will be leading today's conversation with two special guests. Over to you, Ollie. Good day to all our listeners. I'm Alushi Akechi D'Amico, Strategy and Transactions Partner at EY Parthenon. Our special podcast guests today are here with me in Singapore. Firstly, Andrew Ng, Group Head of Treasury and Markets and a member of the Group Executive Committee at DBS and Sanjeev Chatrath, EY Financial Services Partner. In this episode, which you can listen to in two parts, we uncover the key trends shaping the future of the capital markets in terms of digitalization and enabling sustainable finance, as well as how investment banks are continuing to evolve towards a more customer-centric and future-orientated and resilient operator model. We're going to shift us now to more the technology aspects of capital markets. And maybe, Andrew, starting with you this time, just really keen to get your view on what you see as some of those upcoming technological trends and opportunities that are really prevalent for the capital markets industry and also particular for DBS? Well, I guess, as we said, it's a changed operational model and we're talking about efficiencies, right? So like for us, we have a platform. We call this fixed income marketplace. The whole idea when we started this is really try to look from a workflow angle because you know that on a typical a debt capital market deal, right, from origination, then you get the issuer, you get the investor, you get the syndicate, and then you also need lawyers to come to discuss and documentation. These things will take weeks um, to complete a deal. But then we're thinking, say, oh, how can I kind of like, you know, to make this workflow much more seamlessly? Then we kind of think of, oh, maybe we can get the lawyers to standardize, you know, the documentation template. But then if you need to just to make things a bit more exceptional or particular, then you can kind of make some amendments on the platform. Then we line up the investors to, on the platform. You can see the kind of price range that you want to put into that deal. And then we can also get the issuer to come on that platform so that they can roughly know where the investors, they're, they're looking at, what kind of view they're looking at. So that syndicates can also make their life much more easier, right? They don't need to make, you know, 100 phone calls to get the investors and the issuers back and forth on the negotiation. So this platform really helped us to make a origination deal from weeks actually to maybe a week. So that really helped to transform the way we work business and we do it in a much faster manner. And somehow this also makes the life of the people much more easier because people usually work in DZM, right? Or in, on the capital market. 
if that's the deal, you have to stay till, you know, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., or continuously, you know, work for, don't know, 20 hours to get a deal. But nowadays, if you can have a platform, it really helps you make all the transparency and somehow also make your life much more easier on that. So on this fixed marketplace, we started with getting the CD issuance, the CP issuance, and we have a few MTM on it. We're going to make this platform in a much bigger way, I think, in coming months and or coming year. And even we are even thinking of externalize this platform so that you can get more, you know, ecosystem partners to come in. So I think this is one of the projects that DBS is strongly engaged in. And in fact, this platform, we also get two first significant awards, right? One is from Euromoney, one is from Finance Asia. It's talking about the most innovative project of the year in 2022. So we are quite happy to get that kind of recognition. So I think these are just one of the examples. Is how do you rethink, right, of, or create something more innovative for how to you know, tackle your traditional kind of ways of, of, of doing business. Then, of course, then you talk about technology. I mean, people talk about crypto, digital assets. So I am a strong believer that actually digital asset, I think, is something to come in great in the next couple of years. And then this DLT blockchain technology, I think it's also something that really will transform the way of business in terms of payment, custody, and also make the settlement in a much faster manner. DBS, again, I think we work with entities like some regulators. We work with partner with SGX and we partner with a few banks on how to experiment and how to create that kind of payment rails, platforms to so that you can to be ready for this next big wave of coming in. Thank you for that. And I must say congrats as well for your latest recognition. Um, Always good to see and good to hear. I'm glad that you actually gave us a few nuggets of your insights in terms of just opinion on crypto and, and blockchain and digital assets. Because, of course, it's one of the big talking points today, but you've already done that. That was going to be actually one of my additional questions. So thank you for also giving us your views on that. If I can just move to you, Sanjeev, as well, and just give, again, some additional context based on what you are seeing and the types of people that you're having discussions with from everything that we've discussed today. Technology is probably the, one of the common threads that binds a lot of the discussions in terms of reskilling the value proposition for our people, understanding how we can be more innovative and be more obsessed with our customers. There's a technology angle to a lot of this. So I'd be really keen to get your views also on what you are seeing in terms of trends and also opportunities in this space. And please do feel free to share any comments as well on digital assets as well. A good place to start would be what we discussed at the start of this conversation, which is around the clients. A lot of the examples that Andrew talked about, and at the end of the day, the technology is there to serve the clients. And it's great to see that increasingly investment banks are focusing on what clients really demand. And as their clients' businesses themselves are transforming and they are evolving, investment banks are also continuing to focus on the customer experience itself, enabling whether it's the front-to-back modernization or what have you. So I believe that accelerating that digitalization will be really key to unlocking the future sources of value for investment banks. In my mind, there are four technologies that hold the most promise for investment banks. These are what I'll refer to as the A, B, C, and D of investment banking technology, as you would expect is for AI. In the world of this high-stake investment banking, increasingly machine learning and artificial intelligence can be broadly deployed across the front, middle, and back office functions. Banks are using machine learning and neural networks to enhance the decision-making. 
So whether it's around algo trading, high frequency trading, quant risk management, fraud detection, transaction monitoring, risk management, credit scoring, or what have you, there are a number of applications today of AI to enhance precision as well as to reduce human errors. And hence, you can actually see very substantive number of use cases of AI being deployed at scale today in the investment banks. That I refer to is for blockchain. Andrew has already alluded to that, that I totally agree with him that the distributed ledger technology has tremendous potential to help the investment banks to be able to serve their customers even more effectively. And given just the distributed nature of it, but also potential use cases around things like tokenization is gaining more and more momentum. And that's the trend that is here to stay. The C in terms of the new technology that I refer to is cloud. I think in the traditional investment banks, when there were a lot of technologies that were all on-prem, increasingly I'm also seeing today investment banks are able to deliver low latency, high availability, and yet high performance infrastructures on the cloud environments. And I think that is great to see because it's also driving new innovation, including the examples that were referred earlier, because now the cost of delivery can be managed much better, but also you're able to scale up or down depending on the workloads that the client may have, and you can create more multi-hybrid cloud environment infrastructures to be able to handle those workloads, whether on-premises or in cloud environment. And last but not least is the D, which refers to data. Investment banking, just as many other parts of banking, is dealing with plethora of data, but also given that more than 90% of today's data was just created in the last two years, today we are experiencing rising volume variety as well as veracity of data like never before. So it's becoming really, really critical for the investment bank to have the right data strategy and governance both for the structured data as well as non-structured data, including emails, research reports, etc. And this is becoming critically important. I'm also seeing many of the investment banks very, very focused around how they can reduce biases in data and enhance the data quality itself so that they can get better insights out of it. And also, I'm also seeing many of the buy-side firms, which are obviously very relevant in that whole ecosystem, are also looking at things like the alternative data to be able to generate better alpha opportunities in their businesses. So needless to say, between AI, blockchain, cloud, and data, these are four technologies that have very significant opportunities to be able to, to truly help the investment banks to become even more responsive to their customers. Underpinning all of these technologies, I think, is a very, very important shift that's also happening, which is around collaboration. In a traditional bank, in that equation between whether you build something yourself, do you buy it off the shelf, or do you partner with somebody, historically, a lot of bias has been there towards building or buying. But I'm seeing that equation very rapidly changing in favor of partnering, because many of the investment banks are seeing that they are able to go much faster and also pick the best of breed solutions if they are collaborating, whether it's with their fintech startups or different platform providers in the industry. Fantastic. And like a true consultant, you gave us some structure there, ABCD, which I'm getting to remember. So thank you for that. Again, a really another interesting segment. The other thing that we that you've both alluded to is the aspect of, I guess, the social element. And I guess we haven't really actually said the word, or maybe one of you did, but sustainability and that journey to sustainability. And I'd love to start with you, Andrew, and really get your views on the sustainability journey in general, but really what that means for you as a bank and also for your investors, your clients, your consumers, and the role you see the capital markets play in in that long-term sustainability journey. If I can give you an add-on question, another one of the things that I see, at least with some of my clients, is just there's so much there to do 
where do we begin? How do we even try to define the strategy? You know, how do we start to to actually tackle this really big but very, very important journey? So it'd just be great to get your views on how you at DBS have approached the sustainability journey as well. Well, I guess this sustainability, right? This word is such a big buzzword nowadays. I think you go to every conference, you know, to go to every country, people talk about sustainability. And everyone is kind of commit to go of 2030, some are 2050, so to make compliance with the regulation. But again, this is just the beginning. So a lot of so-called, what exactly is green? And at the same time, to help your clients to think about it, how to make this record on green to be real. At the same time, you try to help a client and then a client is like, oh, I have this and that, but how, how can you make sure we are not helping the clients to do a greenwashing? This is all very important things that we need to know. And at the same time, I think this green financing is really a big topic, especially now if you look at uh, a lot of countries, China, Indonesia, in Asia, a lot of countries that they really have this agenda to be able to meet the requirement. But at the same time is where, where you get all this financing, the industry or some of the work groups, I think really need to push hard is to come up with some uh, quality standard. And at the same time, for banks, you also need to make sure you have the right solutions and right advice to tell your clients what exactly you need to do. And then when it comes to sustainable financing, though, I mean, we can come through a green loan, you can come through a, a green bond or whatever. If you look at DBS in 2022, we have 35 uh, green bond mandates. We executed something like a 16 billion of, of green bonds for our clients. But this is just a small fraction of this sustainability agenda. So I guess we really need the, the market, the regulators, and even all the countries, government and regulators to come together to set up some standard so that we can push this agenda going forward. Because we all know that if we don't, get into this sooner or later. You have no more snow, you cannot ski, or you may, you know, drink what kind of water you're drinking at. So, and then you will have floods and all this kind of stuff, right? Nowadays, everyone has an agenda of how to make it more sustainable. But how you help and lead the corporates into getting this standard and make sure they can comply and to get into this route and to make a better world. These are the major factors and probably the bank. I mean, especially DBS, we have a clear role to play. Very much so. Making it a better world. <laughs> um, and Sanjeev, your comments, please. So Ali, just building on what Andrew said, I mean, I, I totally agree that ESG is really upending those universes of finance and in investing as it's really moving from what used to be perhaps more peripheral to really becoming mainstream when it comes to investment banking. So it is definitely getting all the right focus. I think proof of the pudding is going to be in the eating to see actually how tangible the progress is going to be. ESG assets are estimated to reach almost $41 trillion by the end of this year. So it's clearly a very, very lucrative, very substantive kind of wallet opportunity also for many of the investment banks. And Asia continues to be one of the fastest growing regions, when particularly to the point that Andrew made, it comes to ESG debt issuance over the last few years. There are three ways that capital markets can really make a greater impact to support and accelerate those capital allocations in line with the sustainability goals, perhaps under the Paris Accord. The first one would be having a very systematic and transparent approach to sustainability. We need to develop a sustainable finance ecosystem to connect those capital with the opportunities in that ESG space, creating the platforms to be able to provide the information 
the access and the transparency on a wide range of sustainable green and social investment kind of products like green bonds that Andrew referred can be an effective conduit to link those investors with the issuers, which are very, very relevant. The second one would be helping clients to make greater traction on sustainability. And this could be whether it's around sustainable strategy of those clients, whether it's around sustainable finance or transition finance or sustainable operations, including risk, regulations, data, technology, assurance, etc. Capital markets can play a very important role when it comes to promoting ESG awareness and high standards of responsible corporate governance by advocating for better ESG disclosures for one. So the standards that the capital market participants are upholding around disclosures can really help to eliminate some of those, those challenges that were referred earlier around greenwashing and also provide better transparency that investors need to be able to match their investment goals with the ESG opportunities, which in turn can help provide the capital to drive to the net zero transition. And then thirdly, I'll say is getting sustainability right internally at the investment bank itself by really walking the talk on sustainability and encouraging new ways of thinking and operating. And that's becoming very, very important both for the customers of the investment banks as well as for the employees, as we talked about earlier in terms of the employee experience, to be able to lead by example on their own ESG disclosures and reporting, I think is going to be another big one. So between having a systematic approach to sustainability, helping the clients to make that progress on sustainability and then themselves, doing things which are much more transparent to be able to progress the three ways that IBs can really help contribute. Well, by the way, this will be a big revenue for consulting firms on ESG disclosure. Thanks for the heads up, Andrew. <laughs> I just wanted to say that that actually, it almost brings our discussion full circle because we started off talking about the customer aspect and then the operator model and as well as then the employee proposition. Um, and then we talked about impact. As we really think about this sustainability, the journey to becoming a more sustainable world, I love the phrase that you said in terms of making it a better world, right? Contributing towards a better world. And then the word that you mentioned earlier, um, Sanjeev, which was impact. When I never did I think when I started my career in, in capital markets, I would be talking about purposefulness and impact. But actually, if you think about the fact that you're looking for people with the right talent, the right skills, people who are impactful, it does kind of bring us back to this topic around sustainability. It challenges us to believe and to think that the capital markets and the firms that, that operate within them do really have such a big role to play in becoming a better world. It's not just about financing, but there's a lot more there. I really like that full circle. I think actually that kind of brings our discussion to a close. But I just want to recap on the interesting things we touched on today again. So the operator model aspects and everything from customer obsession and really experiencing and understanding the lens that your customers need and want and really being able to provide for them in terms of capabilities. And then the employee experience and then, of course, sustainability and particularly the E, the S and the G. Before we close, I would just love to ask you both one question, or I, I'm going to give you two questions, actually, but they're very short questions. I guess for our audience listening today, which will be a multitude of professionals, senior professionals across the financial services industry, I really wanted to get your view on the, the one takeaway, the one piece of advice you would give them, and particularly what would be, and I'm going to direct this one firstly to actually you, Sanjeev, and close with Andrew. 
But what would be the advice that you would give to employees based on the discussion that we've had today in terms of being impactful in their careers in the capital markets? And then also I'd love to get your opinion on the one piece of advice or takeaway from today's discussion for the more senior professionals out there. And then I'll turn over to you, Andrew, with the same question. With regards to the employees, what I'm hearing both in this conversation and consistently in the market is truly embedding yourself in the client's journey is invaluable. And where I've seen biggest value being added in that whole ecosystem is when you're able to unearth new opportunities with the customers. So really focusing on the customers being customer obsessed. I think for anybody who's looking to get into investment banking is a very, very important thing to be able to learn and build. In terms of more senior execs, I'll say clearly, in my mind, it would be culture because culture has got multiple dimensions, both internally within the organization, as well as the other components that we talked about, whether it's the conduct of the investment bank, whether it's around sustainability, or whether it's even collaborating with partners. I'm looking at all of these as ingredients within that culture to have that more operating in a more agile manner. So creating an environment where people are able to express themselves freely, are able to challenge status quo and embrace new ways of doing things, I think is going to be a very, very powerful ingredient for any senior leader in an investment bank. Andrew, same question in terms of maybe the same thing. So employees, what would be the one piece of advice or takeaway for your employees and others? And also more specifically to your peer CEOs out there, what would be the piece of advice as well? For employees, especially for the young people, you must have, we talk about impact. How you can make impact to this society, I think this is very important. As every young people to join this industry, you have to find something, a purpose in your life. At the same time, you can make impact and contribute to this society so, or contribute to this industry. So to me, I think that this is important for young people to join this industry. I think that's important. For senior executive, I guess at the end of the day, I think still apply the same thing. You must have a purpose in your life and you must of course you have the purpose of, of, of your company but you also have to make sure you can help the firm to navigate and doing all the right things so I guess at the end of the day even though we are a profit making organization but at the same time you also need to play the social part and also to be able to make contribution I think to the world as a whole I think that's important I think the last is probably a senior executive. I think you need to have the people at heart. For me, that is very important. If you don't have your employee and the people at heart, then you will not be a very good leader. I absolutely concur. And I just want to say thank you once again for spending the afternoon with us on this podcast, the first of many. Um, It's been a real pleasure to get both of your views, um, Andrew and Sanjeev. So again, thank you for preparing and sharing your insights with us and look forward to having you on a future podcast. Thank you very much for doing this. Thank you. Thank you for listening to part two of this conversation. In case you missed it, do listen to part one also. You've listened to the EY Next Wave Banking in Asia Pacific podcast. To learn more about EY, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at ey.com forward slash banking. If you would like to have a further conversation on what you've just heard or learn more about joining our team at EY, please contact us via the details found in the description. If you liked this episode, please leave a review to help us bring you more insightful and relevant content. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.